Shalom, and welcome to our new series in the book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. The last book that we studied at the congregation was Revelation, and there are some great connections between the two books, between Revelation and Leviticus. While Revelation has shown us that sin will indeed be judged, Leviticus reveals that the only way that we can ever be saved from that judgment is by the holiness of God. And just as some have questioned Revelation's relevance because of its many challenging and seemingly ambiguous and hard to understand symbolism, in the same way we might ask what significance does Leviticus carry for us today? Aren't the sacrifices outdated? What about all those needless rules and regulations? What about some of those methods that were used, say for the example of healing the leper, shaving off your hair, washing yourself in the water? Don't antibiotics work better today than some of those old wife remedies? Yet we need to remember, Lord, you are now and forever the same. And holiness was something that the Lord desired from us, even from the start. And that holiness sits nestled in faith and trust in the Lord. And that holiness is what helps us swim through our troubles and our suffering. Holiness is the key to a successful and restful life. We were created in the image of God who is holy. And so our inner being strives for this sanctity, for this touch of God in us. That is the main message of Leviticus. Holiness must be our greatest pursuit because it is the one thing that is worth more than all the money in the world or accomplishments that we might ever gain. The one who has the holiness of God applied to them will be the one who will see the Lord in heaven. Thank you for tuning into today's message, our first steps into the book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Be blessed as you listen in and shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom, and welcome to Betaria Congregation and to those who are following us online. And it's my prayer really that today we will all be blessed as we're studying the study of a new book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, which will bring us to see some very powerful and wonderful facets of our God. Leviticus is uh, so much more, I want to tell you right away, so much more than sacrifices and offerings. Behind these laws stands our Messiah with open arms. This book is such a rich one, and I'm very excited to begin to study it. And besides which, Leviticus happens to be my favorite book. And I know what you're thinking, because I always say the same thing. But you know what? I'm sincere. Every time I open up the scriptures, it happens to be my favorite book, because always new things in it. Now, before we start, today is also a special day in the Bible calendar. It's the 15th day of the month of Av, and it's called Tu Be'av. Because it falls one week after Tisha Be'av, which commemorates the destruction of both temples. So to remember that God will restore it and that he will never forget his people. This Shabbat is called Hag Ha'ava, that is the Feast of Love. While last Saturday's portion of the Haftarah, that is the weekly reading of the prophets in the synagogues, it was Isaiah chapter 1. A chapter denouncing Israel's sin, which triggered actually the destruction of the temple. And so today, Haftarah is from 
Isaiah chapter 40, which begins with the words, Comfort, O comfort my people, says the Lord. This is why this day is called Shabbat Nachanu, that is the Shabbat of comfort. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5, also promises that the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And this is read with the hope, of course, that the temple will be rebuilt very soon. And in modern-day Israel, today, this day has become to be the equivalent of our Valentine's Day, where couples renew their love bonds. It has been said to be a great day for weddings as well. But all this news about Tisha B'Av and Tu B'Av triggered a flow of new information concerning the Temple Mount and the reconstruction of the Third Temple. It unleashed a political wave. Last Sunday, after Tisha B'Av, some 1,700 Jewish visitors were allowed into the Temple Mount. That is a very large number on this place. And the news report that they began to pray, to pray there and have lengthy Bible studies or study studies under the protection of the Jewish police. This, I want to tell you, is a major turning point. For since the Jews returned to their land in 1948, they were forbidden by the Muslims' authorities to pray on the Temple Mount. Jews are allowed to visit at certain times only of the week, but they are not allowed to pray or study there. Even after the war of 1967, while they conquered the Temple Mount, they decided to leave it into the hands of the Muslims. Things are beginning to change now. This recent event brought a wave of complaints from the Muslim countries around Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, and of course the Palestinian authorities, and also from the Islamist party in Israel, the Ram, who said that the Temple Mount is the sole possession of the Muslims. But despite these complaints, Israel's new Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, came out with a startling statement when he said that the present arrangement with the Muslim concerning the Temple Mount must be renegotiated. And he further said that the Temple Mount is a Jewish holy site. And added that Muslims can come also once the Jews actually pray. He turned the whole things around. Under Netanyahu and the previous governments, Jews were not allowed to go and pray on the Temple Mount. Now we are beginning to see a marked change which is following the prophetic path. For the Bible predicts that the third temple will be built before the second part of the tribulation begins and before the second coming of Yeshua. It may very well be that under this new government with Bennett, this third temple may very well be on its way to be rebuilt. Biblically, this is a major development. It may be the beginning of the end of the times of the Gentiles leading to the second coming of Yeshua. The times of the Gentiles is a term that Jesus himself used in Luke 21, 24 to describe the nation's occupation of the Temple Mount from the time of the Babylonian diaspora in 586 BC until today. He says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. Speaking of the diaspora, the current diaspora, which began then. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, which will be at his second coming. You know, when we hear about this news and about other developing stories from around the world, we can say that we are living a very exciting time. Never has the Lord been so close to his return. This is, on the one hand, a subject for joy, 
but who, because we will meet him very soon in the air. And it is also a subject of concern, for there are many who do not yet know the Messiah. And so it is also a prayer that together as a body we will pray even more, proclaim his great name. And how then should we live when the Lord is coming soon? How should we prepare for his coming? The book of Leviticus is about to tell us all these things, all these things. But before we do, before we get into it, let us bless our children. If you have your children next to you, bring them close, put your hands upon them, and let us bless them. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'Olam Va'ed Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is coming and is forever and ever. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and King, we lift up our voice in worship to You, Lord, for You are so awesome. As Moses prayed, may our sons and daughters walk after You and fear You and keep Your word and obey Your voice. May they serve You and hold fast to You. May our children be strong and courageous and not fear or be in dread, for it is You, Lord, our God, who goes with them. As Solomon prayed, may our children walk before You, God, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that You have commanded us in Your Word. And so, Lord, we ask that you richly bless our children whom we are covering under the chuppah of our prayers. So you always keep them close to you. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen and Amen. Let's open up our Bible to the third book. That is the book of Leviticus. And as we do, we are immediately confronted with a detailed and graphic set of laws dealing with sacrifices and offerings. And many may find them to be, and do find them, very offensive. It begins right away by telling us about the sacrifice of an animal, how the offender should slaughter it, how he should flay it, that is, skins it, and how he should cut it in pieces and wash its entrails. We then read how the priest takes the blood and sprinkles it over the altar, and how the pieces, one by one, are then completely burnt on the altar. And again, the same description is given and repeated almost word for word for other types of animals. And also for smaller ones too, like the dove or the pigeon, where the priest puts the head and neck of the birds and squeezes it in between his thumb and index in front of the offerer. And this is only in chapter 1. And it goes on until the next chapter, 6th next chapter. Sacrifice after sacrifice. After this, the reader is confronted with so many minute laws, laws of the priesthood and regulation about the lepers. And the style in which the book of the Bible is written here does not facilitate our easy understanding. It is considered one of the most complicated ones to study. One said that these sacrificial laws defy comprehensive analysis. The burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, all these five are different but yet very similar. And the English translation doesn't make it easy, for they give different titles of the same sacrifice. I'm not selling this book very well, am I? But all of this, all I just said, is only a veil. It all disappears 
When one gets hold of the central message, when one lifts up the first thick veil that blankets Leviticus, this book turns out to be very much like the first impression one gets when they see the tabernacle of God. From the outside, the, the first veil called the tahash, which was made of ordinary skin. They used to make shoes out of it. However, once one lifts up the first veil, this one discovers some wonderful things inside the tabernacle. Leviticus may provoke that same response, that same first impression when one gets to first meet Jesus. When I first met him myself, I thought the worst of him because of all the first things I had heard about him until I opened up the scriptures and rated myself of this flood of preconceived ideas. When I finally saw him, Yeshua, I was blessed beyond anything in this world. And I'm still daily blessed by his presence in my life. Such is the book of Leviticus. The message in there is as powerful as this thick clock that unrobes it. Strong difficulty of, at the beginning is proportionate to the blessing that profusely flows throughout the whole 27 chapters. And the importance of studying Leviticus could be seen through so many facets. But let me first ask you to consider one very powerful reason why all those who believe in God should actually read and study this book. Did you know that there is no other book in the whole Bible that contains more of the words of God than in Leviticus? Here God is a direct speaker on almost every page. And if he chose this particular book to speak the most, it is surely because there's a message he wants us to grasp. What do you think it is? Even Moses is very different here. In Leviticus, he, he is far from being that vibrant and argumentative character we come across in other books of the Torah. In the previous book of Exodus, for instance, we meet a Moses whose strong personality converses and even argues with God. But here, throughout the book of Leviticus, he takes the back seat. He is quiet, and that is not normal for Moses. His words and action are all in response to what God asked him to do. His name is mentioned over 86 times in this book. He's always in a submissive position. We read of phrases like, and the Lord spoke to Moses. This phrase is repeated 28 times while there are 27 chapters in Leviticus. And then we read phrases like, Moses took, Moses brought, Moses did as the Lord commanded. We do not hear words like Moses answered like in Exodus, or Moses spoke to the Lord like in Numbers. And he only spoke when the Lord called him. And then, what is the message behind these laws in the outset? Okay. While they are an inviting, while they are aggressive, there is something there we ought to know. And the question we ask right now is, why would God use such severe imagery? L let me try to sum up the whole thing in one phrase. The, the moment begins to understand that Leviticus is not really a book. These uh, stern descriptions are there for us. All the sacrifices and offerings are not, I want to tell you, they're not really for God. He doesn't need that. They're for us. They're for us. God doesn't need this in the death of his creatures. He must have given every one of his commandments so reluctantly 
perhaps even with tears in his eyes. If he ordered all these sacrifices, it is for us to realize of these animals and our sins. All right, let's keep on. So let me repeat something like Leviticus depicts for us this eternal truth found actually everywhere. Genesis to Revelation in the scriptures that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. What is offensive then is really our actions, our continual sin, despite knowing that an affront it is to God. Perhaps we have not yet understand the depth of sin and how it separates us from God. Leviticus is about to tell us all about it, but see the rest of the verse, by the way, in Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. This is Leviticus, what Leviticus is about to describe for us as he's going to bring the Messiah over and over. And the effect of studying these things There's one thing that will stem from all of it. There's something wonderful that we'll begin to see as you go deep into Leviticus. Is that holiness. Holiness is the main thing of the book. The message of this book may be summed up in this key verse that we found in Leviticus 11.44. Be holy, for I am holy, the Lord says. A phrase that is repeated three times in the book and is brought out also in the New Testament by Peter in a very particular situation, which helps us to see the value and the necessity of holiness in our lives. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What is extraordinary here in First Peter is that these words were given in response to those Jewish believers who were under tremendous persecution and under the religious authorities, and who have been distressed by various trials, it says in verse 6. But then he comes up with a statement from God, you shall be holy, for he is holy. But what is the relationship between their suffering and holiness? Do you know? That we should consider holiness as a remedy against suffering seems to be unreasonable, but it is not. It is very reasonable. It is linked very much to our well-being because holiness... Our holiness allows us to have and maintain a close relationship with God, which in turn opens up the windows of heaven so that he may pour out the blessings, his blessings on our lives. Holiness is the key to a successful and restful life here on earth. We are created in the image of God, who is holy. That is his nature. And so our inner being strives for this sanctity, for this touch of God on us. That is one main message we're going to find in Leviticus. We often focus on the love of God, which actually is great. But we have, have we focused enough on the holiness of God? The Bible says, holiness without which you, can't see, you cannot see the Lord. It doesn't say without love no one can see the Lord. It says holiness, for this is our part in salvation, a growing part in our spiritual life. Leviticus will help us to desire holiness in our life, which in turn will allow, it will allow us to see more of God. And here again, the title of this book only serves to alienate the person. 
you know, the name Leviticus comes to us from the Septuagint, where it was called Leviticon, but this book is not only about the Levites, nor about the priests. In fact, few laws really pertain to them. And strangely enough, the Levites are only mentioned in chapter 25. And in terms of the laws pertaining to the Levites, they're found where? In the book of Numbers. To whom then is the book directed? To us, believers. The believer of all ages and of all time in history, this book is a manual of our sanctification. The Spirit says, and look at this verse. Actually, I think it speaks of Leviticus. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Leviticus is one of those books, by the way, inspired by the Holy Spirit, perhaps one of the most efficient ones. And as the verse says, have you noticed the last words? For training us in righteousness. And it is such a timely book because we're getting so close to meeting our Lord. So let us then begin to prepare our encounter with him. I imagine that one question the Lord would ask us is, have you read Leviticus? And yet, you know, I wrote the most in that book. So let's hurry up because the Lord can come even tonight, right? Now, before we begin to read the first verse to, to encourage you to face this barrage of laws, uh, I want to share with you a historical fact. There's something that the Jewish people of the first centuries understood, those closest to the time when the temple stood. They know the Midrash Rabbah, which is a collection of ancient rabbinical commentaries, indicate to us that the book of Leviticus was the first book taught to children at school. This was the first book of the Bible they studied, and perhaps it was the first that Jesus as a child also studied. But why did they choose, did they choose this book? See how, this is what they said. A quote from Leviticus Rabbi says, What do young children commence with the book of the law of the priest, the Torah Kohanim, and not with Genesis? Surely it is because young children are pure, and the sacrifices are pure. So let the pure come and engage in the study of the pure. You know, they knew they recognized the importance of this book. They knew that God spoke the most in this book. And the main reason they give is that the children themselves are pure. That is, they saw them as sincere, not as being tinted by prejudices. They do not come with a heavy luggage of dogma or traditions. Their heart is open to receive what is God's authority, and they are not looking to defend anything, not even themselves. And their comments reminds us of what Jesus said in Mark 10, 14, Permit these children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as this. This then is how we ought to approach the book of Leviticus as a child. As a child, open to the Spirit of God, for this book speaks deep into the soul of those who love God and desire to know what matters to Him and really desire to live accordingly. Let us now begin by reading the first verse. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying. The book begins with an unusual way, with the words ve, meaning and. In the Hebrew, ve yikra. By the way, this is the title in Judaism about this book, ve yikra. And he said. The presence of the word and, ve, brings us to link it with the previous book for where just Exodus left off, 
that is Leviticus takes over. At the end of the book of, Levi of Exodus, the tabernacle is built. And now we're about to know how to approach God because the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt. This is when the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And these words brings us brings out that it is the solemnity of the importance of the message already. The tent of meeting that is called Ohel Moed is also called Mishkan or tabernacle at other places. And it was not easy to approach it and even less to enter it. But see that right away we are confronted with a dichotomy when it comes to the relationship between Moses and God. Something that the rabbis actually noticed. Before we read how Moses spoke to God face to face and mouth to mouth in the book of Numbers, we're also told that Moses beheld the likeness of God in Numbers chapter 12. But here he can even enter the tent of meeting, which is where the holy place is, where the menorah, the table of bread, and the altar of incense were, and including the holy of holies, where the ark of the covenant was. And here in this book, Moses does not have the same access or familiarity with God as before. For its message brings us to consider that one aspect of the Lord that constitutes his very nature, that is his holiness. What is being emphasized here is that God himself is holy. He is kadosh and set apart from all his creation and including Moses, of course. But see that we are faced with the two aspects of God in the Hebrew Scripture. On the one hand, He is inapproachable, so mighty and holy, it is impossible to be face to face with Him, for like here in Leviticus, He is the judge. On the other hand, God is so close, like a shepherd. You know that He walked with Adam in the garden. He came to see Abraham and he called them by His proper name. Abraham called them by His proper name. And you know what? They dined together. In Genesis 18. And they conversed. And later on, he fought with Jacob in Genesis 32-30. And then we see him so close to Moses. Let's not forget David, who pleased so often for the reassurance of God's presence and for answers to his deep needs. And God was there for David. But how does one resolve this two manifestation of the divine that we find in the scriptures? His transcendence and, and his personal attendance to each of our deep Matters. How? Because it is linked by the presence of the Messiah. The Messiah is he who reconciled this dual reality. Because this is what the book of Leviticus is about to teach us. These two manifestations of God in the Hebrew scriptures became a problem of interpretation in Judaism. And it may very well be one of the main reasons why they moved away from the scriptures and created their own religion. For they do not have to face such a grandiose truth and recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah. Leviticus will tell us much about the one who bridges the connection between us and God's holiness. It is the holiness of the Messiah that is applied to our lives. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. 
If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H, A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.